Coming up on the Locked On Hornets podcast, it's John Fokey, the voice of the Charlotte Hornets. We have Rick Bennell sound bites on Kimba Walker's return game. It's a win day. We beat the Indiana Pacers in this. Cody Martin's got it. The rookie into the front court, drops it for P.J. Washington, drives and hammers it home. P.J. Washington. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. <laughs> Always a fun show when we get to discuss a win. The Hornets got a win last night against the Indiana Pacers, 122 to 120 in overtime. A lot of fun. Have John Fokey on to discuss it. He'll be on with us at the second segment. Rick Bennell will have a little bit more of what he talked about as far as Kimba Walker returning on Thursday. We'll play some more sound bites from Rick Bennell in the third segment. We'll recap the Indiana Pacers game here coming up. A lot of fun, Doug, at that game. And I did not think it was going to start out that way. It was brutal in the first quarter and really the first half of the first quarter. Being at the Spectrum Center, it was so dead. There was a stoppage in the action. And it took a little while for them to get started. I don't know why they were waiting on something and it it wasn't long enough to, for anybody to address it. It was just a, 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 certainly a break in the action. There was, it was a while and there was nobody in the spectrum center at that time. The players came out flat and Borrego talked about how flat they came out to start off this game, man. It was so quiet. It, It, you talk about hearing a pin dropped. I mean, it's it was crazy how quiet it was, and just the energy was nowhere to be found. I thought what happened in this game at first was Malik Monk kind of came and gave them a spark, and it's not like he had a great stat line. His stat line's actually pretty bad. If you did not watch this game and tried to evaluate it from the box score, you would look at it and say Malik Monk was awful in this one. But I think what you saw from Malik in the first quarter and a lot of the second quarter that he played was he was the only one that was creating any offense to get them going at first. They were dead. And Malik, a lot of dribble handoff action, a lot of plays that try to get Malik Monk driving downhill. And if he wasn't creating a shot for himself, that was a good one. That was a good look. Then he was creating a good look for somebody else. He set a couple of people up for dunks, including PJ Washington. So he had a few assists in this game. And uh, there were a couple of good looks that just didn't go. Malik Monk didn't hit as many shots that he has the previous three games, not nearly as, as a, uh, as a good of a clip, but what Malik Monk did was serve as that spark. And then Devante started to get rolling. And then PJ Washington was the beneficiary of a couple setups. And then you had Terry Rogier start to get going a little bit, Marvin Williams. So it just felt like Malik kind of jumpstarted everything. And then once we got to the third quarter, boom, Devante has a franchise record of someone who scores 35 points off the bench. And everybody else starts to get a little bit more involved, including Miles Bridges in the third quarter. What we saw in this game, Walker, is something that we've seen all season, and that's the starting lineup coming out flat. It happened in the first quarter. It happened when they came out in the second half as well. And then we also saw bench players, reserve players, heroes coming off the bench to save this Hornets team from certain disaster. And that's what happened. You're right. Malik Monk played very well in the second quarter. Marvin Williams also off the bench for the second straight game breaking uh, the seal on the three-point shooting that has suddenly uh, gone away for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, They started, I believe, one of six or one of nine from beyond the arc before Marvin got going. So that happened in the second quarter. 
Then you had P.J. Washington getting things going. Devontae Graham was 6 of 10 in the first half for 15 points. Uh, a key stretch to get them back in the game at the end of that first half, they went on a 15-5 to run from 438 to 129. That saved the game. I mean, the, the, the Pacers win by 20 or 30 if they didn't have that stretch because Brogdon was getting everything that he wanted in the first half. T.J. Warren was hitting. He was touched by God. He was hitting everything from mid-range. Couldn't stop that guy. And then Borrego... Uh, goes to this lineup, this bench lineup that consisted of uh, Rozier, Graham. The, the Hornets play well when Rozier and Graham are on the floor together, by the way. And then uh, Marvin Williams, uh, Bridges, and then uh, Bismack Biombo in the fourth quarter. In the third quarter, it was P.J. Washington at the center position. But again, J.B. reaching into his bag of tricks and throwing a lineup out there that sparked some energy and, and won them this basketball game. James Borrego promised to stick with a lineup or a rotation out there on the court that was working. And I think last night you saw that with Bismack Biombo, who probably doesn't deserve a whole lot of minutes this season, deserved him last night, and he got him. He stuck with Biz, sat Cody Zeller. Biz goes, I think, six of seven from the field, has that one stretch where he makes a big-time block at one end, and then it might be the immediate play following where it, it probably this probably the next offensive possession where he gets set up for a fast break dunk biz slows down to welcome the defender only to jam on him which is the best kind biz was out here punking dudes i and he stuck with them and james rago said yesterday it was because of Bismack Biombo. If that doesn't happen, then they don't win this game against the Indiana Pacers. He's the guy that turned the game around. Oh, absolutely. I think he did. I think Devontae Graham obviously had a big role in this. And then uh, the third guy I would point to is Cody Martin. And all three of those players, by the way, three of the only Hornets so far this season that have a positive in the plus minus category. They're really the only three, and and two of oh, those. I would have missed that. Yep. Two Absolutely of those rotation players, and then Biz has has, has just gotten in there occasionally. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That happened at the 9:47 mark of the fourth quarter. Uh, Biz got the block on McConnell, and then two plays later, after Rozier hit another tough bucket and an and one, Biombo comes up with the steal in the front, <laughs> in the in the backcourt. Sorry. Yeah. And steal on Leaf, and the dunk on the other end. Only the second greatest play that I've seen from Bismack Biombo in history. Of course, I witnessed him hit the Euro step in Memphis uh, but this this almost got there but it was just it was a game um, where you had certain players that were ready to play that were ready that had the right energy and the right attitude after that tough uh, West Coast road trip they go two and two but it was a difficult road trip early in the season you had players stepping up including Cody Martin who once again comes into the game gets hustle play after hustle play rebound after rebound zero points in the box score but he was absolutely critical for them because he see the big adjustment that they made in the second half was face guarding and I believe um, my guy Seth Partnow pointed this out on Twitter as well face guarding Malcolm Brogdon basically just like all right I'm, you know, Cody Martin's job was to get in Brogdon's face and keep the ball out of his hands. He still got taken off the dribble one-on-one and scored on a few times, but they disrupted the offensive flow, forced the ball into Jeremy Lamb's hands, forced the ball out of Brogdon's hands and TJ Warren's hands. And to me, that was huge. I, again, all credit to JB on this one. Great win. No, it was a great win. It, and I think the guards actually showed up at times. Devontae, uh, we mentioned Malik Monk kind of got everybody started. Then Devontae Graham took it in a big way, took the game over. Uh, 
Terry Rozier, not the greatest game. I think defensively there were some lapses. There was some shot selection issues that just like you would probably expect from Terry. But I thought there were some nice things that he did. I think he set up his teammates well at times. And he did come up with a couple of big shots. To me, Doug, I, I want to get into the pick and roll action with Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham because I think they're two very different players off the pick and roll. I've talked about this quite a bit. Terry is shoddy with his decision-making off the pick and roll. There are some times where he'll be trailing Cody Zeller. What he likes to do is he likes to feel it out. So coming directly off the screen, as soon as he rubs hips with Cody or rubs hips with whoever's setting him the screen, he likes to pin his defender on his backside. Very Chris Paul-esque, right? Likes to pin him on his backside, then just pound the rock, dribble, 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 and then decide to make a decision. Every once in a while, it's the right idea, but it's too late. Maybe it's the right decision or it's just flat out the wrong one. And it's been shoddy for him. He's a feel guy off the pick and roll. Whereas Devontae Graham, there's a couple of times that come to mind where he'll come off the screen and it's a real quick slip pass to Cody Zeller. Zeller's shot was blocked. He probably should have gone into the defender a little bit more. Jakar Sampson was the guy he should have gone into and he tried to short arm it. But I like yeah. the decisiveness from T, uh, from Devontae Graham as well as there was another time he comes off the screen, kind of same position, and it's a quick J at the elbow. Just immediately, as soon as he's off the screen, quick mid-range jumper. There are two different styles of coming off of the pick and roll, and I think I like Devontae's because it's quicker. Terry, man, he's indecisive, and when he does make the decision, it's a little shoddy, and that needs to correct itself. And I think it will. I think Rozier's still feeling out his his role within the pick and roll and within the team's offense in general. Uh, and I, but I like that he. Here's what I like about Rozier is that he can be pretty inactive on the offensive end with Devontae Graham on the floor. If Devontae Graham's cooking, he can be sort of inactive on the offensive side and still come and make good defensive plays. Like I just love that about Rozier. I, I just feel like he's he is really allowing Devontae Graham to develop and not and not sort of forcing the issue. I just haven't seen a lot of Rozier forcing the issue. What I would like to see more of is Rozier knocking down wide open three-point shots. This has been insane, Walker. He he can only hit three-point shots when there's a guy in his face, when he's doing that, uh, when, he's, when he's pulling up with, with a man close to him. That's the only time he can do it. I think if you're the Hornets... If you see Terry Rozier with the ball in his hands wide open from three, you have to close out. Don't wait on the opposing team to close out. You get a hand in his face because, for some reason, it's the only way he's been able to knock down. The, the stats show it. For wide open this year, he's 22% from three. Yeah, Malik Monk has not been good at shooting the three, even though I do think there were some games. He certainly needs to clean that up as well. He's got to hit Which shots, is and nuts. he hasn't done it a couple. It's nuts. I, I know. He's I a know, shooter. It is. Look, and, we're supposed and look, to be. I, you certainly are a lot lower on Malik and some of the things that he's done than I have than I have been for sure. But that is one thing he, he's got to be. He's got to hit more shots. And you think that that would correct itself at some point, but it just hasn't here recently. And another thing, Doug, is you look at Dwayne Bacon. How about only 13 minutes for Dwayne Bacon last night? You know what happened at the beginning of this game? There were two times that there, there were three times that Dwayne Bacon drove towards the basket one time. He had to pick up his dribble because he was in trouble. He kicks it back out to the perimeter. I honestly thought that was a good decision. But then the next two times, I, I see that first one. I'm like, okay, Dwayne, good decision, buddy. <laughs> awesome. Like, don't don't shoot it and miss the shot or turn it over like we've seen a few times this season. But then the next two times, he drives towards the basket. He shoots a couple of bunnies, and he misses them. What does he do? He goes 0 for 3, and then he gets sat for most of the game. This was by far the least amount of minutes that Dwayne Bacon has played this year. 
you talked about the starting lineup not getting off to good starts for the team. Is it is it as simple as sitting Dwayne Bacon and putting Devontae Graham in the starting lineup, or is there some things that you have to play around with? I think it might be. I think it might be time for a change if they're looking to get some energy into that starting lineup. And and I think Devontae has certainly earned it. Now, I don't know the the deep strategy that they've got going on, but I feel like in a season where you're, you're not really anticipating winning a lot of games, I, I'm fine with experimentation. And if, if you put Devontae in there and it doesn't work out, then, then send him right back to the bench. And you've got Nick Batum getting healthy as well, so you got to figure out what to do with him. So I'm fine with messing around a little bit. And, and if, if that means they lose a few games, that means they lose a few games. Um, but I am just amazed at how well Devontae Graham and P.J. Washington have played this season. And it hasn't quite hit me yet. Like, it has, like this just doesn't happen to the Charlotte Hornets slash Charlotte Bobcats no, it over the years. Like, this is not what's supposed to happen. It doesn't feel real. Like, I feel like I'm living in the Matrix. Like, I don't understand what's going on. How can they play so well? How can they, they get consistently make plays in the fourth quarter in overtime and win crunch time games? And then we're, we're doing inbounds plays now that are working. Did you see that inbounds play? Decoys all over the place. <laughs> They've got everybody down at the rim. Ball goes into biz. They do like an XFL style where the wide receiver runs to the line of scrimmage, except it's with Devontae Graham, he picks up a foul. I don't care what you say, Nate McMillan. More like Nate McVillan. Get out of here. Quit whining about the officials. You got plenty of calls. The Hornets got a call at the end of the game. I thought it was fair. Hornets win. Doug is in fetal position, rocking back and forth in a straight jacket because he's going so crazy at the things he's watching from the Charlotte Hornets. And if you want to go see the Charlotte Hornets, we have an opportunity for you. Doug, tell the people how they can get tickets to the Boston Celtics Kimba Walker return game. I got two freebies. They're on Instagram at Locked On Hornets. If you're a member of our Patreon page, you get double entries to this particular entry. All you have to do is go to Instagram. We did a post about it. Uh, pretty simple to enter. I'm just, oh my God. And then you got Eric <laughs> you know, Collins saying tougher than a woodpecker's lips. That's we need amazing. To get, we need to get to all of that. We will. But first, we have to bring on John Fokey in the second segment, as well as tell you about my favorite part of this time of year. Do you know what it is, Doug? Ball time, baby. Uh, it's sweater weather. It's leaves on the ground and threes from downtown. College That's right for some. It, it For some, it's fall season. But for the rest of us, it's definitely ball season. Pro and college ball are tipping off, and there's no better way to feel a part of the action than to have a stake in the game with mybookie.ag. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. Either way, if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. And if you join right now, my bookie will double your first deposit. You pay $100, they'll give you $100. It's really that simple. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA, no space is all one word, LOCKEDONNBA, to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. John Fokey, up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. I'm not a big fan of grape jelly. I kind of, I'm a little insulted that you referred to me as grape jelly. I'm not a fan of grape anything. Now, I like grapes, but I don't like grape flavoring. I think it goes back to the Robitussin that I had as a kid, and I just don't like grape flavoring. Anyway, great to yeah, be back. Great to be back on the show. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Floats it up off the back iron. It's high. Ball batted around. It's saved along the baseline, and the Charlotte Hornets pick up their third straight win 
as they go to overtime and defeat the Indiana Pacers 122-120 behind a career-high 35 points from Devontae Graham, and the Hornets improve to 4-3 and three on the season, snapping Indiana's three-game winning streak. You just heard from John Fokey, the voice of the Hornets on the final call of Charlotte's win last night against the Pacers, and with that, we'll welcome him to the show. John, thanks so much for the time, man. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're doing well, John. Really do appreciate the time joining us here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. First off, John, it's crazy to think with all the expectations surrounding this team heading into this year, certainly a rebuild in the minds of a lot of people. I know the Hornets don't like using the term rebuild. They like to use the term transition, but a lot of people like to use it, use the term rebuild. And now they're four and three. Some opponents have been injury ridden for sure. But they're four and three in a season I don't think anybody would have expected. What were your expectations, John, heading into the season, and how has the season differed or met what you anticipated? You know, I think I was in a unique situation because uh, my expectations were just sort of see what happened. You know, I wasn't here for uh, the last couple of years when the team was so centered around Kemba Walker. And so uh, my expectations were I looked at a lot of numbers and, and looked at some highlights and, and film from guys from a year ago, but there were a lot of unknowns. Uh, we saw during that small sample size of the final 12, 13 games from last year, um, some guys stepping up, whether it was, you know, Dwayne Bacon, Devontae Graham. But overall, um, those guys kind of bounced back and forth between the G League and the NBA. And so you didn't have a huge sample size to say these guys are going to make a leap. You know, Miles Bridges' uh, season last year got, got better as he went along, but you still didn't know if, if he was going to be able to make a jump. And, um, and then Terry Rozier, you know, stepping in as a, a starting point guard for the first time in his career. Would he be able to put up the same type of numbers that he put up in a starting role, uh, you know, spot start in Boston? And so I think I came in with, with really zero expectations and really a mindset of let's see who these guys are. Let's see what they can do. And, you know, when you go into any season, I think, especially the last couple of years, you hear every coach talk about we want to play faster. And we want to shoot more threes. Um, and I think every team says that. And during the preseason, you know, pace numbers are through the roof. But then as you get into the regular season, teams kind of, you know, a lot of teams kind of are who they are. And it's hard to sustain some of those things that you put in in training camp. And so I think, you know, watching the way this team went through the first couple of weeks of, of training camp and into the preseason, and you're looking at those, uh, you know, those areas that they wanted to focus on, you're saying, okay, they're doing these things. Now, can it translate to real games? And I think we're starting to see that this group has bought into the philosophy and, uh, you know, they're pushing the pace, they're shooting threes, they're looking for those shots, they're getting to the free throw line. I mean, the free throws against Indiana last night were, the disparity was incredible. Um, and so I, I just feel like, the philosophy that Borrego and his coaching staff laid out, these guys have bought into. And so I, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased with the way things have gone through the first couple of weeks of the season. And I think a lot of fans are as well. Well, and the fans have suffered quite a few close losses. John, it became comical the last couple of years, how many close losses this Hornets team has had. And now you look this year, you got three clutch time wins against the Bulls, yeah. against the Warriors, last night against the Indiana Pacers. You know, for one, for you as a play-by-play announcer, that's got to be fun in the seven games into the season. <laughs> you've had some real close games to call. How fun has it been for you as a play-by-play announcer? It, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and, and I think, 
you know, in Minnesota, we went through a year, gosh, it was a, it was a number of years ago where, you know, the team couldn't win a game that was in, like, just couldn't win a clutch time game or couldn't win a game within uh, five points or something like that. There was some, I would have to go look it up, but there was some statistical anomaly of like, it, it just didn't make any sense. And so the Wolves had like a positive point differential but they couldn't win close games, and so you were just so snake-bitten by that. So coming into this season, I mean, the point differential is probably not where Borrego and the coaching staff wanted to be at this point, but they're winning close games. And for a young team to figure out how to win close games like this group has, I think that's incredibly impressive. And it's not just winning close games. When you look at their last three wins, uh, Sacramento, Golden State, and Indiana, and the team rallied back from down double digits in each of those. So – uh, two of those were clutch time wins, but the fact that they got themselves down early, dug in, figured out a way to make it a close game, and then closed it out, that to me is incredibly impressive as well. John, a lot of fans right now, they're watching P.J. Washington making these incredible dunks, knocking down threes. We didn't know he could shoot threes. Devontae Graham is is exploding wow. as as a scorer and a positive playmaker. And then Cody Martin. Uh, getting four huge minutes against Golden State, and then he was the primary defender on Brogdon at the end of this game against the Pacers. These things seemingly are coming out of nowhere, but, John, what did you see, what did you hear in the offseason that may have given you a clue or an indication that some of these reserve players were going to have such a big impact on the Hornets? I mean, I knew Devontae worked incredibly hard during the offseason. Uh, did I think he'd be, you know, coming out and leading the team in scoring and shooting nearly 50% from deep? Probably not. Um, when he went down to the G League, he had a couple of big games, and his numbers down there were really good a season ago. And I think that's what you want. And, and I think back to guys that, you know, I've covered in the past that um, weren't getting minutes early on in their career at the NBA level, went to the G League, and they went down there and they just killed it. And you're going, okay, that is an NBA player. And I think we saw that out of Devontae Graham last year, that when he got his opportunity down there, he, he put up big numbers. And, you know, now you're seeing his hard work in the offseason, especially on that three-point shot. I mean, he was under 30% from beyond the arc a season ago. Um, and now he's pretty much lights out from there. So it's just really, really impressive. So I heard, you know, that he was working really hard and that, you know, he's, he's one of these guys who's getting better each and every day. And I've been so impressed with what we've seen uh, with him through the first seven games. I mean, he's, he's set his career high three different times already, and he was unbelievable against Indiana with the 35 points and hitting timely threes, getting to the free throw line. He had the game-winning free throws, and, you know, I think he had six assists as well. So scoring and playmaking has been fun to watch, and he rebounds. I mean, that's one thing that uh, Terry Rogier and Devontae Graham bring as guards is a rebounding aspect, and uh, I mean, those guys, any given night, could go out there and give you six, seven rebounds, even though both of them stand about six, one. So with the ability for those guys to get in there, get a defensive rebound, and then lead a break back the other way, uh, that helps in terms of, of your pace and the tempo that you want to play at. And then Cody Martin, um, you know, again, he kind of like P.J. Washington. Uh, we saw Cody during summer league, but he was dealing with uh, an ankle injury during preseason, so we never really got to see – uh, at the NBA level, you know, what this kid could do. He was scoreless against Indiana, and he ended up a plus 27. Like, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's, he's been incredible the way he's impacted the game. He had 11 rebounds. I think he had seven, uh, three assists. 
And you're right, his defense, I mean, he was out there on the floor with Biz, with uh, Devontae and Perry and Miles, that group that turned things around and basically played the entire fourth quarter and overtime. And it has just been so fun to watch these guys who work their tails off in practice uh, translate it over to game situations and, and come up with big plays. So it's, it's been a ton of fun to watch so far. John, last time we had you on the show, you talked about how much you respected Kevin Harlan. I think he became everyone's favorite announcer when he was on the call for the Black Cat touchdown in New York. <laughs> so what did you think of the call as a play-by-play announcer, the cat call at the Meadowlands? How'd you think, what'd you think of it? It was unbelievable. And not only that, but he worked <laughs> in the CDW Red Zone pit as well. Like, he's in the CDW <laughs> <Outstanding>. Red Zone. <laughs> um, that guy, he's so good. And remember a couple of years ago when, uh, I don't remember what the game was, but somebody ran out on the field and took their shirt off and, and Harlan <laughs> <Right>. called it. <laughs> it was a blowout Monday night football game. I mean, that guy, you know, I, I respect the skill that he has, but I also just love how much fun he has doing it. And, and like – getting the opportunity now that I have to call NBA games on, on a regular basis, like it is so fun guys. And you know, the games are, are so much fun preparing for the games is so much fun and, you know, being in those environments and everything. So I, I just love how you can hear the joy that, that Harlan has every time he's on a broadcast and, and calling a game. And, you know, some of those fun, funny moments go viral, but each and every time you tune in to listen to him, that guy just loves what he's doing. And I think it comes across in the way that he calls the game. Have you ever had anything like that happen? I mean, probably not on that level, but any anything strange happened <laughs> during a game in which you were calling uh, that you maybe had to address or maybe you didn't address it? I don't know. No, I think the only thing that, that was like really odd that happened in a game I was, I was calling was a high school hockey game way back when in a small town in southern Minnesota. And somebody like went to go check somebody into the boards, um, but as – as they moved or something, their stick swung around and actually cracked the plexiglass. <laughs> so uh, here we are in this like barn of an arena somewhere in southern Minnesota, and they're like, well, we don't have an extra piece of plexiglass. <laughs> and so I don't have a studio guy back, you know, back to go to on our, on our little radio station that I was working for at the time. So I'm sitting there having to fill for like 45 minutes well, the arena folks were like running around trying to find something, and eventually they just put a piece of plywood in there. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, wouldn't it be better just to keep the broken plexiglass than someone like slamming into the plywood and, and getting splinters and everything? But uh, everything worked out in the end. It was just a, a really long, <laughs> a really long time to fill. And then, you know, at, at the NBA level, we had. Uh, a couple different games. You know, I was part of that uh, Mexico City game where the Wolves were playing San Antonio, and the game got smoked out. Now, I was back in the studio for that game, so uh, we never actually got on the air from, from Mexico City. We just had to fill until that game got canceled. And uh, there was another game at Target Center, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, where there was like a condensation issue with ice underneath the floor. Um, so we had some lengthy delays that we had to fill for, but nothing quite like a cat running out on the floor or like managing nobody <laughs> slapping down the bat, anything like that. Um, oh, we but, need a John Fokey bat call. That's, that's what, what I was need. just going to say. You know, we don't have any cats in the NBA, but we do have bats in San Antonio. So hopefully Hornets go down to the Spurs uh, to play the Spurs and you'll get a chance to call a bat. <laughs> we, we can only hope, right? <laughs> 
no, we can. We can hope. And I will definitely hope. No, I will. I will. Pr- I will pray tonight. I will pray that that moment happens. John, before we get you out of here, one more question. I know you weren't here for the Kimball Walker era, and he does indeed come to town tomorrow. It's his first time back playing at the Spectrum Center. How do you prep for that as someone that didn't necessarily experience it, but understand the kind of emotion that everybody else has when they talk about Kimball Walker? How do you prep for that moment when you're on the call? Well, to be honest, I just reached back to uh, my first year in Minnesota. And, you know, growing up um, in the Twin Cities, you saw the impact of Kevin Garnett. And, you know, Kevin Garnett, there's a lot of similarities between the way he embraced the state of Minnesota, uh, that Timberwolves franchise, um, and the way Kemba Walker did with the Charlotte Hornets and the community here. So I see a lot of similarities to, way, to the way those guys became the face of their franchises and the face of their cities and really made this their home. And uh, I started working at the Wolves, I think I told you guys earlier, like right before KG went to Boston in that trade, or right after, I should say, KG went to Boston in that trade. And so heading into that first meeting with the Celtics, it was, you know, we were wondering what are the emotions going to be? How are fans going to feel? And then Garnett got injured. And so he didn't actually play, but he did come out and acknowledge the fans. And so I think having been through that and seen you know, the fans uh, are going to give Kemba incredible recognition. I mean, you guys know the impact that he had here. I've heard about it and read about it, uh, but I didn't experience it. But, you know, in talking to Del Curry, talking to Matt Carroll, and talking to guys on the team and, and Coach Borrego and, you know, season ticket holders and stuff, you know the impact that he had. And so I think you prepare for it. As, you know, you're, you're going to honor him. I think it's going to be really cool to listen as the fans honor him. Um, and one of the things that we'll try to do, it all depends on the timing, because with, uh, with it being a TNT game, the timing's a little bit different. But one of the things that we'll try to do is carry his intro, um, because I think that is important. And, mm-hmm. you know, we did that in Minnesota with Garnett when they introduced him. And, you know, it, it's a great moment to be able to recognize what he meant to this, to this franchise and to this community. And then I think after that, it's just, it's another game, and, and I think that's the way the players will look at it. I hope that's the way the fans will look at it. Um, you know, I, I think back to my time covering the Timberwolves, and there were a number of games where uh, fans were there to see LeBron James or fans were there to see Kobe Bryant, but then the home team uh, started playing really well, and, and the fans that were there got into it because they saw uh, their Timberwolves team, you know, battling with one of the top teams in the Western Conference or one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. So, uh, I hope that that happens again tomorrow, that, hey, at the beginning of the game, we'll acknowledge Kemba for everything, and, and I'm sure he's going to get cheers throughout the game. But, you know, hopefully the Hornets come out and uh, put together a great game and the crowd gets into it and gets behind the home team because uh, these these atmospheres at Spectrum Center, the Chicago game uh, to open it, and then last night in the fourth quarter and in overtime, the atmosphere has been outstanding. So I, I'm really looking forward to to that atmosphere coming up tomorrow night. That was great stuff. That was John Fokey, voice of the Charlotte Hornets. The Fokey factors are fun, by the way. He tweets interesting nuggets, so follow him on Twitter, at JW Fokey. Thanks so much for the time, John. We really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, coming up next, we'll talk with Rick Bennell again. We had a couple of sound bites about Kimball Walker's return game from the Boston Celtics. We'll play that in the final segment of the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Final question for me: uh, When you're in Pauly's Island, could we describe you as sassy? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, 
When am I not sassy, Doug? You know you're It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick Bennell has covered the Hornets for a long time, and he knows what he's talking about when he talks about Kimball Walker. I think we all do when we talk about him being the best Charlotte Hornet of all time. Here's what Rick had to say about the meaning of Kimball Walker coming back to play against the Charlotte Hornets as a member of the Boston Celtics. I, what I've always thought about with Kimball is two things. One, he didn't just, he isn't just now from Charlotte. He is of Charlotte. It's very important to people to keep in mind that as excited as he is about being a Boston Celtic, that only happened because the Hornets, you know, didn't make a, you know, didn't make a financial offer that really would justify what he had done. Um, It was a, he had every intention of staying here. It was entirely within the Hornets' control to keep him. They chose not to. I thought that it was good that Mitch Kupchak was transparent when he said that at the end of the day, they came to a conclusion that they were only going to offer so much because as Mitch said, you know, he was an all-star, you know, for multi years without playoff appearances and, 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 you know, such resulting from that. That's a reasonable explanation on Mitch's part. I wish that for his sake, he had said that up front instead of waiting until September to say it. But the bottom line here is, if anybody who is in that arena Thursday night doesn't stand up and cheer when they hear Kemba's name, I don't know what's wrong with them. Rick's coming for you. If you don't stand up and cheer, you're going to get Benel burned. Yeah, and you guys uh, know what that's like. You no, know, we do. We, we know. We've been on the other well. side of it. <laughs> We've been on the other side of it all too much. Uh, when you look at, at Kemba returning to this team, Rick, and given the circumstances, the Charlotte Hornets could have had him had they ponied up the money that he was worth, at least in Kimba's eyes, was there maybe bad blood is the wrong term, but were there any kind of feelings that wouldn't be described as positive between the two parties? Did, did they leave on okay terms? Do you have any intel on that? Yeah. Matter of fact, I asked Kimba that exact question when I saw, you know, when I summoned Boston um, in the preseason, he holds no ill will. Um, he went out of his way to say that he has very warm feelings for, for Michael because Michael was, was the advocate for bringing him here. And he's convinced that his NBA career would have turned out differently and, 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 and not as well if Michael hadn't had so much faith and sort of, you know, you know basically said, draft this guy, and then he became the centerpiece of a, of a, of a building franchise. Um, all, the other thing, quite frankly, though, is, it's hard to get on Kemba Walker's bad side. Um, yeah. He is such a good human being. Um, I talked to several of the of the players at shoot around today, starting to do some research on, on a Kemba story for Thursday. And the thing that I heard that I loved, I mean, it didn't surprise me, but I found it really insightful, was everybody talked about his humility. How many times, you know, how easy it could have been for him to big time teammates, and how every one of them remember him as a superstar on the court, but somebody who strived to be one of the guys in every other sense of the word. Rick, is there, what are the feelings of Terry Rozier? Because this is getting way overlooked, right? Because Kimba Walker, deservedly so, the best player in Hornets history, coming back to Charlotte, all eyes are going to be on him. All the attention is going to be on him. Do you know what Terry Rozier's feelings are like facing his older team? Well, yes and no. Um, he didn't seem particularly emotional 
um, when he was up there in the preseason. And, and frankly, you know, when you think about it, that game, that you know, being in, in, in the garden, probably a more emotional kind, you know, a kind of thing for Rogier than it would have been for, for Kemba seeing his old team in his new building. Um, I don't think that Terry is out to have some kind of a revenge game. Um, and, and frankly, at this point, I would say that Terry has an awful lot of a plate without worrying about that kind of tangential stuff. Well, and Terry Rozier, part of an offense that has been very diverse without Kemba Walker, Rick, we all know that the offense ran strictly through Kemba Walker, but now there's a lot of guys that are scoring in double digits and it could be, you know, a different guy on any given night. Do you expect the offense to be this diverse throughout the rest of the season? You know, it's very different in a lot of different ways. Um, Cody brought this up to me and I'm glad he did that almost all the offense, because it's so, it was, it was perfect for Kemba with pick and roll. And now pick and roll isn't all that, all that big a part of the offense anymore. It's much more, um, you know, straight line drivers, um, and, um, and, and, and pops, um, two shooters, um, you know, big men taking shots. Uh, I asked, Marvin about that particular topic this morning and I thought he made a good point that for the long haul this is going to be constructive for a lot of these guys that putting them in a situation where they have no choice but to take more responsibility for themselves as opposed to stand around and watch Kemba do his thing um, is going to be beneficial for these people but it's but I'll tell you something um, I, I can't I don't I haven't looked at it so I can't positively substantiated but the playbook has to look very very different than Mm -hmm. it did any of the last five years well and they have really stuck true to this youth movement rick are you surprised to see borrego stick this true to the youth movement did it meet your expectations your overall take on that surprised only to the extent that it that that it is unquestionable um you know when i talked this through with jb in september you know, I, I, you know, and he started talking about, you know, I am committed to playing the young guys. I said to him, yeah, but, and he said, well, he, you know, and, and, you know, at the time he said, I'm not saying the competition won't matter. I'm not saying that I'm going to forget the veterans are on this roster. He said, if people are beaten out, I'm not going to ignore that. But he said, if it's a close call, I am going to consistently play the young guys. The best illustrative of that so far and I thought it was a really interesting leap of faith. Doug, I'm curious if you had the same reaction I did. When when he threw Cody Martin into the into the breach of that game with, a, with it on the line and Cody absolutely rose to the occasion as being a, a defensive stopper. He made three energy plays um, in the last three minutes of that game against the Warriors that were very big time with that. When he, when he won that 50, 50 ball off the, you know, off the jump ball from, from Dwayne Bacon, Bake said to me after the game, that is not what rookies do. It's impressive. And it's having returns. 
Thanks to Rick Bennell for joining us once again. He joined us yesterday on Tuesdays with Rick. He joined us again today just a little bit to talk about Kimball Walker's return game on Thursday. Thanks to John Fokey for joining us today. That was awesome to talk about the black cat call that happened at the Meadowlands, to talk about his guy, Kevin Harlan, as well as some of the other things that have gone on with the Charlotte Hornets this year. And thank you. We really appreciate you guys joining us. Got a couple of Twitter comments last night about how much they enjoy the podcast. Really do appreciate everybody that tunes in. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll preview the game against the Boston Celtics and talk about Kimball Walker and more on the Locked On Hornets podcast and the Locked On Podcast Network.